Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to Unfiltered. Here's tonight's headline. It's not a hoax. One full month into the impeachment inquiry, President Trump is up to his usual tricks, trying to convince someone, anyone, that the whole thing is a scam, a witch hunt, an act of treason even. Of course, it's not any of those things. It's, you know, just a constitutionally designed process by which members of Congress are allowed, obligated even to conduct oversight of the executive branch when it's concerned the president has abused his power. Also, by the way, a federal judge ruled yesterday that the impeachment inquiry is totally legal. So there's that. But desperate times call for desperate measures and unable to argue the substance of what Democrats and even some Republicans are charging. Trump and his GOP protectors are resorting to truly comical, indeed embarrassing stunts. Stunts like Matt Frank the Tank Gates and his fellow Republican frat boys Crashing a skiff party, closed-door deposition of Deputy Assistant Defense Secretary Laura Cooper, which many of them were actually invited to. Way to show them, boys. Stunts like Senator Lindsey Graham showing the president he's got his back by introducing an actual resolution complaining about the impeachment inquiry. Why? Because the president has been denied basic fairness. Poor guy. Stunts like the president of the United States calling this a lynching. Yep, this is totally how people who aren't worried behave. Of course, we know they are worried with damning testimony this week from career officials and Trump appointees. Another hearing today on a Saturday and more to come, including potentially Trump's former national security advisor, John Bolton. It's bad. White House officials even confessed to CNN that Democrats are winning the messaging battle while the administration is struggling to assemble a war room and a winning strategy. That's tough when the president insists he's all he needs. Here's the thing. I don't have teams. Everyone's talking about teams. I'm the team. Also complicating messaging efforts. Trump has denied doing what he's accused of. And he's also admitted to doing what he's accused of, asking a foreign government to interfere with the American electoral process to his personal benefit. Well, it looks like Trump is truly out of options because he's back to name calling. Never Trumper Republicans, though on respirators with not many left, are in certain ways worse and more dangerous for our country than the do nothing Democrats. Watch out for them. They are human scum. Here's the deal. That sounds like a tough guy, doesn't it? A guy who's secure in his own skin, who doesn't have to bother whining about people who, by his own account, are irrelevant. A guy who thinks name-calling on Twitter is an act of bravery. A guy who is so secure, so strong, so powerful, he has to threaten members of his own party to agree with him or else. Yeah, he's real tough. As for human scum, a comment he's directing at people like me, well, I'd like to just quickly respond and then we'll move on to business. These childish insults are designed to turn people against us, to pretend 
we're the problem, that are calling out the president for his immoral and unethical and possibly illegal behavior is somehow a worse offense than the president's immoral, unethical and possibly illegal behavior. It's meant to divide and stoke tensions, but ultimately it's designed to soothe the president's ego. So when his Twitter followers repeat his dumb insults, he feels better. Or when his fans chant human scum at one of his rallies, he feels powerful. It's really sad. That's what he needs. If if that's his love language, well, he can have it. I'm good. Okay, joining me now is former Republican congressman from Wisconsin, CNN political commentator, Sean Duffy. First, welcome to the network, Congressman. Hey, it's good to be with you, SC. Thanks for, uh, for having me on. Good to see yeah, you. Yeah, you, know, you know, I've known you a while. I, I like you. I know you are a stand-up guy, a family man. You teach your kids good values. Would you, sir, call me human scum? Listen, not the language I would use, SC, but I think it's important to go, not what did Donald Trump say? Why is he saying it? I mean, here you have a president who has No, I actually want to talk about what he said. I actually want to talk about what he said, because he called people like me human (laughs) scum. Are you proud of the president for using that kind of language to describe people who disagree with him? SC, I don't think you're scum, and I know a lot of never-Trumpers, but I I think the president is frustrated that he's been investigated for two years. He's fought to put American workers first, grow their wages, reduce their taxes, streamline regulation, all the things that you believe in, Essie, yeah. that you've stood for. He's done that more than any president. Well, let's talk about the things that Republicans believe I don't think the president understands that. But let's talk about the things yeah. Republicans believe in. I'm really glad sure. you brought it up. And I'm really, I'm really glad you're here um, you know, at, at our network, because I, I, I think we need to hear from conservative Republicans who support the president, not to try to spin his his nonsense, because that's boring, but to explain maybe what voters like about him, too. So help me understand. I, I'm a Republican. We never used to defend protectionism. We never used to defend exploding the debt and the deficit. We never used to defend Russia, North Korea, communist China. Why is this all OK for Republicans now? So listen, you, you've seen Republicans stand up against the president on his Syrian policy, but I think when you look yeah. at what the president's done on tariffs, it's not about protectionism, it's about fair trade and free trade. They it's have to go together, the American and that's consumer. why he's back on China. So we can agree with that. He has lower taxes, which you'd agree with. He's mm-hmm. uh, he, The pro-life movement of the party hasn't had a harder yes. fighter on life than Donald Trump. Um, streamlining regulations, re- growing the military, um, all things that have grown our economy and made people's lives better. And so where I come from, and we, we, we talked about impeachment in your intro, yeah. but in Wisconsin, a poll just came out. And so we're the swingiest of swing states. Yeah. Uh, the independent voters, 55% disagree with impeachment. Right. Only 33% do. Because we went through in Wisconsin, Scott Walker's recall, and people yeah. believe in fairness. They believe in equity, equity. And if you're not fair to everybody, they push back against it. And that's why they're upset about Democrats having closed hearings. Yeah. Well, and I'm going to open um, it up and let us see all the evidence. I, I, I have a swing Democrat on to actually, I mean, to talk about impeachment. Not, it's, not, um, it's not as popular in some places in swing states as it is, as it is elsewhere. And, and, and we're going to talk about that um, a little bit New later. York, but, I mean, it was popular there. <laughs> but well, OK, uh, the president specifically disputes the idea that there was any quid pro quo in his call with Ukraine President Zelensky. But he did admit to withholding aid and asking Ukraine to investigate Joe Biden. I don't want to relitigate that. I just want to know if you think a future United States president of any party should use his office to uh, coerce foreign um, heads of state to investigate political rivals. 
So, Essie, we spent, that pro, we spent that two years on a Russia investigation. So, I'm you this, listen, we spent two years on a Russia investigation that came from the Democrat Party on Donald Trump because of corruption. It was bogus. It was false. With regard to well, I don't know uh, what that Joe has Biden to do with my question. Politics, in the future, in the future, as, so the, would you so, support so the a president, president of any party using to his office corruption to, like Joe Biden? to coerce yes, I would. <laughs> foreign heads of state to investigate political rivals? Corruption. So when, right. when Joe Biden actually has a quid pro quo where he wants to get the, the Ukrainian prosecutor fired who's investigating his son's company, that's a quid pro quo. That's corruption. We should investigate no, that. It's and we should look not. back also to the 2016 <laughs> election and, and investigate and get help. What happened there, too? Those are two really important things that Democrats have spent two years on. I think the Trump campaign can do that as well and sort of classify it as trying to take out a political rival as opposed to any. No, no, I know you defend the president. I know you defend President, president Trump. Did. I'm just curious no. if you would defend a future president I, I, on either side of the party doing that uh, again. Because we're setting no, a precedent purposes, here. No, but to, to investigate, well, to investigate corruption of a former uh, vice president, absolutely, I think For he can do that. For his own political gain. Okay, talk to me about the skiff. Tell no, me what storming the skiff accomplished. Okay, so take a step back. You have Democrats who are actually doing an impeachment inquiry. That's what Nancy Pelosi said. They're doing it in private. We're leaking information out. They're leaking information out. And the, the press is trying the president publicly with that information. So Republicans have said, listen. I mean, it's opening open statements. It up. It's not 75%, leaks. Let me answer. 75% of Republicans don't have access to the information, not even the transcripts. They want to be, if you're going to, if you're going to undo the, the 2016 election. Some of the Republicans that stormed the skiff were invited. What are you talking about? So, so, well, they're they're giving moral support. I, you know, I wasn't. I wouldn't. Have, when I was a member of Congress, I was not on that committee. I wouldn't have been in SE. I would have gone with them because I would. No, by the way, good, I would have left my phone effort. outside. I, we all know better to not take phones phones inside. But of course, we want to expose that they're doing this in secret and trying it on spoon-fed information from Adam Schiff. That's not the way we do it in America. If you're okay, I got one more question, and then we got to go. Um, sure. uh, Trump Trump has said that there's going to be um, a civil war if he's impeached. Do you think that's true? Is that is that what you think of Trump supporters, that they'd uh, go to war against American citizens, their neighbors? So, so I'm sitting in Wisconsin right now, and I'm, I'm going to tell you what. Republican voters, Trump supporters are wildly angry that he could be taken out mm -hmm. um, by this sham of a process. They're really angry. And I think uh, as so the, you see yes? a divide in America. You see, you see a left and a right f more, more, more further divided than ever in our uh, recent history, in our lifetimes at least. And so I, I don't know that you have civil war where people ta are taking up guns, but I think you have a political civil war on your hands. And I think uh, everybody deserves to be treated fairly. When you talk about what's good for the goose is good for the gander, Democrats mm. think Republicans will have the House one day, they don't want a Democrat president treated with secret trials like what they're doing to President Trump. We shouldn't do that. Let us all see the information. Come on, do it the right way. Don't do it in well, hiding. Well, you're going to get your wish because Democrats are going to start holding public hearings well, so in just said. a couple of weeks. So right. they've said. Sean Duffy, I don't know that I trust thank them you. On that. Thanks for joining me tonight <laughs> and to welcome. I'm sure I'll see you again. Thanks. All right. Absolutely. The, okay. The GOP's process talking points have an expiration date. As I mentioned, Democratic lawmakers want to launch public hearings in a matter of weeks. I'll ask one of the lawmakers instrumental in getting the impeachment inquiry rolling about strategy next. And later, the president's most fierce defender has been quiet lately, well, until this week. And the reason why is ridiculous.
Republicans may be sidestepping the actual substance of the impeachment inquiry in favor of spin right now. But the substance seems to be getting through to the American public. A variety of polls, including CNN's latest, find a majority of Americans not only favor impeachment, but impeachment and removal of this president. But if you zoom in on battleground states, Democrats still have their work cut out for them when it comes to selling voters on this. A New York Times Siena poll of voters in Pennsylvania, Michigan, Florida, North Carolina, Wisconsin and Arizona found that while there is support for the inquiry, 53 percent oppose impeaching and removing Trump, outpacing support for impeachment removed by 10 points. Democrats are planning to hold public hearings next month, which could kill two birds with one stone, neutralizing Republican attacks on transparency in the process and letting the public hear the damning allegations with their own ears. Will that be enough to swing the swing voters, though? Here to discuss this next phase is one of the freshman congresswomen who got the ball rolling on impeachment. She's a member of the Foreign Affairs Committee, Abigail Spanberger of Virginia. Uh, welcome. You represent a swing district. Does that poll of swing states showing majority opposition to impeachment and removal, does that worry you? So it, it doesn't worry me. When I came out in favor of an impeachment inquiry as a result of these newest allegations against the president, I felt it was my duty to do so. I have sworn an oath multiple times in my professional career to uphold the Constitution, and this is the next continuation of that. I am, however, getting out and talking to everyone and anyone who wants to talk about the impeachment inquiry, uh, what the status of it is, what it means. Uh, just this week, I met with members of the Tea Party in my district to answer their questions. So I, I think I think what's really important for those of us who do represent swing districts and frankly those of us who represent yeah. any district is to be engaged and in, in talking about the the status of the inquiry and what this means well and we've seen a number of swing district democrats go home and yeah. and hear from some angry supporters who don't support impeachment what are you hearing when you talk to tea party voters in your district and other people what what are they saying about impeachment Voters in my district really run the gamut. We have people who who have supported an impeachment inquiry long before I did, and we have people who are uh, totally opposed to it. It really runs the full spectrum. Um, but what I think voters in my district expect and want is a representative who's going to engage directly with them, listen to them, listen to their concerns, um, and, and be accountable for the decisions that we're yeah. making. They want honesty and integrity in what we're doing and, and working towards. So in... In uh, pursuit of, of honesty and integrity, how impactful do you think public hearings in a couple of weeks will be, both in terms of swaying public opinion and maybe combating criticism that this has been done, um, you know, without transparency? I think the public hearings are going to be very, very important. Uh, we've seen some portions of information become very public, certainly the whistleblower complaint, the transcript memo of the phone call, um, and uh, also Ambassador Taylor's opening statement have been uh, out in the public. Uh, mm -hmm. Those are really jarring pieces of information to read. I think it's going to be incredibly important uh, as we're working to ensure the trust of the American people in this process that they get to hear uh, public hearings, that they get to hear the questions and the the answers for themselves. Yeah. So CNN reported this week that House Democrats are already discussing the scope of articles of impeachment. What can you tell us about those conversations? 
So I haven't been involved in those direct conversations. My hope and expectation is that any articles that are drawn up are specific and are based on facts and evidence, and that when those hearings do become public, uh, that it will be very clear to the American people why the articles that are being drawn up, if, if any are, um, are in fact um, based on, on evidence and information that's been gathered throughout uh, these investigations and inquiry. So as you mentioned, you know, this is part of your constitutional oath to hold the executive um, accountable for potential abuses of power. However, I've been asking Democrats I've had on on the show this question. I will ask you separately from that obligation. Are you worried that impeachment might actually help the president get reelected? As we know, Bill Clinton, you know, his approval ratings went up during his impeachment inquiry. For me, I'm a, I'm a former CIA case officer, and national yeah. security is my is my personal area of focus. And so the allegation against the president that he would have used his position to ask a foreign leader to yeah. get information on a political opponent uh, and that he might have used a security assistance dollars to do so, the, those allegations represent such a significant threat to our national security that they we, we must get to the bottom of it. We must ensure that anyone who's accountable needs to mm. be held accountable. Um, and, and so for me, this, this is an issue of national security. This is about upholding our oath. Um, and I, I have faith in the American people that they, are, that they want the same, that they want our democracy to mean something, that they want to ensure that no foreign powers are meddling in our elections uh, and certainly not being invited to do so by the president of the United States. Uh, yeah. And, and speaking of national security, um, I just want to, before you go, ask you, about Trump's contention, his latest his latest declaration that uh, we're doing well in Syria and that ISIS is basically 100 percent contained. Your thoughts? Uh, my thoughts are that's absolutely inaccurate. We were doing well. We had partnered with the Syrian Defense Forces. We had them on the ground fighting ISIS. We had contained ISIS. We had ISIS-hardened fighters in jails. And then we green-lighted the Turks to go into northeast Syria. Uh, we watched our allies and, and the, the Kurdish forces and the SDF forces uh, fleeing the area. We saw, yeah. according to hearings in the Foreign Affairs Committee this week, at least yeah. 100 ISIS fighters have escaped from prison. Uh, we have been frenetic in our foreign policy. And what we've seen in ISIS, uh, excuse me, what we've seen in Syria is just an example of a complete lack of strategy and, and not only bad strategy, but actually walking away from good strategy yeah. that was working, that was keeping us safe. And we've done it betraying our allies. We've done it breaking what it means, the American handshake, yeah. that, that you can trust us as a partner. Um, Thank and, you. And we're less safe for it. Thank you, Congresswoman. I appreciate your time tonight. Thank you, Essie. Thank you. Okay. Presidential advisor Kellyanne Conway has a husband who is best known for dunking on her boss. Mentioning that apparently triggers her. I'll explain. And America First has certainly become America alone. The president's dangerous decision in the Middle East has threatened American global leadership. But is there a candidate in the Democratic field that can fix it? Hell hath no fury like Kellyanne Conway scorned. The president's counselor went on a rampage on a taped phone call with Washington Examiner reporter Caitlin Yillick this week, who dared mention in a piece that Conway's husband, George, is a frequent Trump critic. Not in secret. <laughs> in the wild phone call, Conway threatens Yillick, mocks her credentials and tries to intimidate her. Take a listen to some of what Conway said. 
you really going places. Let me tell you something from a powerful woman. Don't pull the crap where you're trying to undercut another a, a woman based on who she's married to. And toward the end of the seven-minute call, she offered this. If it has nothing to do with my job, which it doesn't, that's, that's obvious then we're either going to expect you to cover everybody's personal life or we're going to start covering them over here. Now, Conway has insisted she wasn't threatening the reporter, despite what you just heard. Quoting her here, if I threaten somebody, you'll know it. I got to be honest. This was unsurprising from Conway. Falsely crying sexism is actually her go-to move. Listen to this. She's accused CNN's own Anderson Cooper, Dana Bash, and Chris Cuomo separately of being sexist in their interviews with her. Cory Booker, she said, was sexist because he dared run for president against women. Maisie Hirono was sexist for attacking Brett Kavanaugh. Tim Kaine was sexist for interrupting. It's her absolute favorite thing to do, accusing people of sexism. Considering who her boss is, it's pretty hard to take her seriously. Okay, to unpack this, my panel joins me now. CNN chief media correspondent and host of Reliable Sources, Brian Stelter, former Clinton presidential campaign manager, Patty Solis-Doyle, and former advisor to Paul Ryan, Brendan Buck. Uh, before I get to the comms part of this, you two professionals, uh, I want to start with you, Brian. I was struck by how composed this young reporter yeah. was on the other end of this tirade. Uh, younger me would not have been that composed. <laughs> Current me definitely would not have been that composed. Did she do, in your mind, did she do everything right? I think she did. And the examiner made an interesting choice by sharing this publicly. Yeah. Because other reporters have been on the end of calls from Conway like this yes. and have not shared those. Yes. And I think it's helpful and revealing uh, to hear Conway talking this way to a young reporter. I think it's incredible to hear Conway say that she doesn't think her personal life and her marriage <laughs> is anybody's business. Her husband thinks the president is mentally unwell. Her husband wants the president to get a psych evaluation. Yes. Her husband thinks the president is decompensating in office. Yes. Publicly. Yes. This is the most interesting and most one of the most important marriages in town other than Melania and Donald Trump. Well, and tell me about that decision to publish it, because they're they're facing some criticism that this was a supposedly off the record conversation. Yes. And in these situations, if the reporter does not agree to the, to the decision to go off the record right away at the beginning of the conversation, then it's not off the record. Yeah. When I'm talking with a source and they say, can I speak off the record? I have to say yes. Yeah. And then we both agreed yeah. to the terms. Otherwise, it's on the record. Um, OK, Patty. I know this. You and I have faced actual sexism <laughs> yes. over the courses of our um, careers. Kellyanne complained in this phone call that the reporter was trying to undercut her as a woman. I'd love for you to respond to that. <laughs> I just don't see it. I don't know how. It wasn't even a full sentence. It was a clause in a bigger story about her potentially yeah. becoming White House chief of staff. So how that undercuts her as a woman, I have no clue whatsoever. But let's look. Kellyanne Conway is a powerful woman. She's yeah. one of the most powerful people, not just women, but powerful people in the yes. country. And for her to take on some young reporter, reporter who right. is just doing her job. If there's anything sexist in this whole sort of what happened, it's that. I mean, if you're yeah. a powerful woman, one of your responsibilities is to mentor younger women. Yeah. You know, bring them along, help <clears throat> them out. And in this, she did the, the complete opposite. Well, Brendan, um, I also just wonder from like a strategy point of view, Kellyanne's cartoonish phone call, I think uh, just brought more attention sure. to this story. Yeah. 
whereas had she left it alone respectfully, I don't think a lot of us would have seen it. Yeah, of course. Um, she clearly overreacted. And I actually, I'm, <laughs> I'm actually glad that the examiner released the audio for the reason that it teaches professionals in communications yeah. a lesson that this is not okay mm -hmm. and that there are consequences for acting like this. And the reason I'm glad they did it is I am concerned as a Republican that there is a whole generation of Republicans that are learning some really bad lessons right yeah. now mm. from how the president treats the press. And it's filtering down. You know, in a lot of ways, the, the fake news thing is a political play. It's yeah. trying to play victim. Mm -hmm. But this is how it ends up being carried out in, in practice. Right. When, you know, there's, I, there's an example where there was a, a young uh, press secretary at the Department of Homeland Security who tweeted out that CNN was fake news. And the president then retweeted that this yeah. guy had done a great job. Yep. Those are the, that's how they're being reinforced. And, you know, obviously I have a problem with the, the, the language in general, but it also isn't very helpful. You're not, you're not getting your point across this way. You know, Kamala uh, can also yeah. be very kind in person. Every time I see her, she asks about my kids. She's interested in reporters' personal lives. I think this may suggest that she's having a very hard time in the job and I having a very hard time with her husband trying to get the president impeached. I think that's a very generous take. And listen, I know <laughs> Kellyanne. I've known her for a long time, and I've, you know, I used to do speeches with her. Um... Yes, she can be nice, but this is actually sort of par for the course in terms of the way she's been treating people and not just recently. So I think I think she's become a, a lot like her boss over the course of the years that she's she's uh, Maybe that's the sad thing him. that happens in the way it does. It's, it's, it's um, culture. The, the office yeah. that you're in, there's a culture that that flows through everything. And, and this is the natural extension of it. Um, Patty, um, I also wonder if you think there's this is sort of doubly offensive to Kellyanne because the Washington Examiner is a right-leaning publication. Do you think she expects, she just sort of expects ah, a conservative publication to You know, that occurred to, to me, the too. I, it, that totally mm. occurred to me, too, because, you know, the, the you know, Washington Examiner is yeah. much more conservative. Um, I, look, I just think, bottom line, this one story really hit a nerve, and she got really mad, and she picked up the phone, and she berated and bullied. and bullied and yeah. belittled and intimidated a young reporter because she could. And Final she word, did. Brian, do you think, I mean, Kellyanne, you know, maybe she this means, from this? Is this fine with her? Maybe this means she's not anonymous, the author of this book. I think we know she is not. If she's still defending Trump in private. Anonymous. I suppose she really does disagree with her husband. Again, her husband wants the president evaluated psychologically. Yeah. This is an extraordinary situation. It is. I don't it's think a lifetime this movie. is a common thing in D.C. where one, one person yeah. wants, the, wants the guy impeached and the other is working for him. All right, Brian, Patty, Brendan, great conversation. Y'all, well, great. Thanks for uh, joining me. Okay, up next, the president has made America standing in the world a campaign issue. So who's best equipped to restore it? I'll have a former presidential candidate and veteran weigh in. In the red file tonight, a mess in the Middle East after withdrawing U.S. troops from northern Syria, allowing Turkey to swoop in and commit war crimes and ethnic cleansing against our allies, the Kurds. President Trump has now directed U.S. personnel and armored vehicles into eastern Syria to protect Syrian oil fields from ISIS. This week, Trump declared that U.S. forces had, quote, defeated 100 percent of the ISIS caliphate. Well, apparently not quite 100 percent. All of this has put foreign policy back on the map, so to speak, in the 2020 election. Trump will certainly have to answer for his decision, a decision many Republican lawmakers strongly disagree with. 
But Democrats, too, will have to answer for what they would do if elected president. Would they send troops back to Syria? Would they try to reestablish an alliance with the Kurds? the ones Turkey hasn't already gotten to. How will they reassure our allies that they can trust the U.S. when we say we're committed to them? With me now is former presidential candidate Congressman Seth Moulton, who is also a member of the Armed Services Committee and an Iraq war veteran. Welcome. Thanks. It's good to be here. First, I want just your take on the latest developments in Syria. Trump is declaring a victory. He says things are going very well, and apparently we're rolling tanks in to um, guard oil fields. It's an unmitigated disaster. Yeah. And it's terrible for our allies on the ground. It's terrible for our troops, who many of whom feel betrayed by their own commander-in-chief. It's terrible for the fight against ISIS. Mm -hmm. It does help Iran. Mm -hmm. It helps Russia, Putin. It helps Assad, Assad yeah. the butcher of, of Syria. And it helps Erdogan, who's Putin's protege. Uh, it's really dangerous for us. And don't think that this is going to have implications just in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. China's watching. Sure. North Korea is watching. Iran is watching. Sure. Yeah. Um, so you ran as a national security candidate in, in part because you saw a real need for one, considering how many uh, foreign pro policy problem spots there are from cyber terrorism to ISIS, Russian election meddling, et cetera. I know you think any of the Democrats are going to be better than Trump uh, on foreign policy. But for those who don't have a ton of foreign policy experience, do you think that should be disqualifying? Well, look, it's just it should be a factor in people's decision making, yeah. because the, ma the fact of the matter is that the president is the commander in chief. Mm -hmm. And there are a whole bunch of things, a whole bunch of policies where, you know, you want to know the candidate's opinion, like health care, for example. Yeah. But but health care policy is mostly going to be determined by Congress, mm -hmm. not the president. Right. But the commander in chief mm -hmm. makes decisions every single day that yeah. affect our troops, that affect our foreign policy and that fundamentally affect the safety of America. Well, and I was pleased after a long time to see Syria really front and center, finally, in a presidential debate. It kind of took a while. I know. Believe me, um, we've talked about this. But uh, just to, 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 to drill down a little bit, like for someone like Elizabeth Warren, um, a senator in your in your state, she has a seat on the Senate Armed Services Committee. Is that good enough foreign policy experience in your view? Well, let's be clear. Mm -hmm. It's a hell of a lot more foreign policy experience than Donald Trump has. Yes. And, and that's what's that's what's most important here. Uh, but I mean, look, Having experience negotiating with foreign leaders, I mean, doing that, and it's something I did on the ground in Iraq, I mean, I think that that is valuable in this kind of uh, situation uh, because there is a lot of work to do yes. to undo, undo the Trump right. legacy, but also have a, a proactive plan going mm -hmm. forward. And that's something we need to talk about. Well, as well, so former Vice President Biden has always touted his foreign policy um, experience. But that also leaves him vulnerable to some criticism because he's, he's got a long record. Um, Bernie Sanders likes to point out, you know, on every foreign policy decision, Biden's gone this way and Bernie's gone, gone the other. Is Biden's experience a potential problem spot for him? Look, he's had a tremendous experience. You don't get everything right. right. And I don't look back on my four tours in Iraq and said I made every decision correctly. Yeah. Uh, but I did at least have the moral courage to reverse course if I made a mistake, which right. this president obviously hasn't done. That's an important point. Um, Tulsi Gabbard, as you know, is a veteran. Many have questioned her judgment on policy issues, uh, foreign policy issues. She, as you know, once visited Bashar al-Assad, then came home and parroted his talking points back to Americans. Should she have to explain more fully 
her position on Syria, her position on Assad and what he's done. Look, my view is that all the presidential candidates have to explain their positions yeah. on foreign policy more, more fully. But she's this is the so only important. one who's actually met with Look, him. yes, I think she should. Uh, and this is something I strongly disagree with her. I mean, we yeah. have had a lot of disagreement. Uh, yeah. You know, we're, we're in the same workout group on Capitol Hill, <laughs> okay. so I know Tulsi well. <laughs> Breaking. But we have a lot of disagreements on foreign policy, and that's something that should be part of this debate. We need a clear, proactive strategy going forward in Syria. I mean, this is what I think we need to do. Uh, I think, first of all, we've got to have a political solution uh, for mm -hmm. the troops on the ground. And that's not just our troops, it's yeah. our allies, for the SDF. Like, we have to have a political goal in Syria, and we've never had one. Mm -hmm. Second, we've got to have a long-term plan to defeat ISIS. But the good news is the, yes, the Syrian defense forces mm -hmm. who are on the ground are Kurdish allies. They can do that work for us if mm -hmm. we can protect them because we have a long-term plan for their safety. And third, we've got to ensure that ISIS doesn't keep recruiting people. No one's talking about yeah. this. These ISIS prisons, it's mm -hmm. not just a problem that ISIS members are escaping. Yeah. They're also they're terrorist breeding. They're radicalizing people. Yeah. That's, that's, a kind of, that's a clear three-part plan that we need to have for, for going forward in Syria. I well, want to hear things like that from all the presidential candidates, and of course we need to hear something like that from the commander. You, you and I have, have long talked about foreign policy. It's good to see that it's on the, on the plate for a really important election, and I hope people keep talking about it. Congressman, thanks for coming on, and as always, thanks for your service. 2020 candidates are in South Carolina this weekend, where one of them has outsized support. But will it last? There are 126 days until the South Carolina primary, but it feels like it's today, considering how many Democratic candidates are there for the collegiate bipartisan presidential forum focused on criminal justice reform at the historically black college, Benedict College. And according to the latest polling, it appears South Carolina is former uh, Vice President Joe's, Joe Biden's state to lose. Biden has a commanding lead of 33 percent support among South Carolina Democratic voters. Senators Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders trail with 16 and 12 percent, respectively. The African-American vote in South Carolina is a key constituency for any Democrat, and that state could spell the end of the road for a number of Democratic contenders. With me now is Associate Chair of the DNC, Jamie Harrison, who is running against Lindsey Graham for U.S. Senate. Uh, Jamie, Biden seems to have South Carolina in his court. Who do you think is his biggest threat in that state? Well, listen, Essie, it's, it's still very, very early in this primary here mm -hmm. in South Carolina. And the candidates are doing what they're supposed to do. Um, it's about building an operation here, putting boots on the ground, but it's about going into these communities. And so it's still right. anybody's game. I so think, who, but who's, uh, doing that, vice that, who's doing that really well? <laughs> who should Biden be worried about? Well, well, there are a number of them that are doing it really well. Uh, you know, you, you see Kamala Harris and Cory Booker, who are in the state quite often. Pete Buttigieg had a, a rally today with 1,700 folks. Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders have had mm -hmm. a number of large rallies. And so, again, it's anybody's game. I think what they have to do is model the behavior that we're doing on our Senate campaign. Mm. It's not good enough to just have great plans and, and fancy words. It's also important that you demonstrate uh, through your actions what your values are. And that's what the voters in South Carolina are really so, going to look for. 
So Senator um, Kamala Harris, you mentioned, first said she was going to boycott the South Carolina Criminal Justice Forum because President Trump received an award there yesterday. She reversed that boycott, attended there after all, and spoke. Do you think that's a sign of just how important South Carolina is to, to her candidacy and to Democrats? Well, South Carolina should be extremely important to all of these candidates because you have to understand 60 percent of the voters who are going to vote in this primary are going to be African-American. Yeah. And this is a primary that leads into Super Tuesday. Right. I'd like to call it Super on Steroids Tuesday because many of those states look just like South Carolina with large African-American populations. And so it's really, really important for them to do well in South Carolina because that sends a signal to all all of those other states. So, uh, again, you know, being being yeah. in these communities, I cannot un, uh, overemphasize how important that is. And that's why we're doing that on our Senate race. So Mayor, Mayor Pete Buttigieg, he is. He's going into some of those communities because he's faking, facing some challenges in South Carolina. Um, he's meeting with small groups of black LGBTQ activists to try to expand his appeal. Um, is that a real hurdle, hurdle for him? Well, I, I think, you know, I've given advice to Pete and all of the other candidates about how they approach the African-American community. These folks, some of them have lost all trust in the political system. And so you've got to rebuild that trust. And how do you do that? It's about, again, actions and not words. We launched a program here called Harrison Helps, where we're doing home ownership workshops, uh, job interview skills, uh, resume building workshops. We're going into the community, helping people deal with the issues they're dealing with right now. And that's my advice to Pete and all of the other presidential candidates. Don't just give yeah. speeches and don't just go to rallies. Yeah. Actually go into these communities and help people right now. They do that and then they have a, a golden road yeah. to the White House. Good advice. All right, Associate DNC Chair Jamie Harrison, thanks so much. We're back in a bit. Ah, the butt dial. Time-honored tradition of accidentally calling someone so they're stuck listening to your heavy breathing on a 10-minute long voicemail. There have been a number of historically significant butt dials. There was the Tennessee man who was arrested after butt dialing 911, in which dispatchers overheard him talking about buying drugs. Then there was the Illinois woman who was butt dialed by her husband, a middle school teacher. He was listening to a rap song that she mistook for a hostage situation. 30 SWAT team members showed up at his school. Well, the president's lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, just added himself to the pantheon of bad butt dials after news that he accidentally placed a call late in the night of October 16th. He didn't just butt dial anyone. He butt dialed an NBC reporter. And he wouldn't be Rudy if he was just caught breathing heavily on the call. No, he had sensitive conversations about needing money. A few hundred thousand dollars, he says. He mentions Robert from Turkey. There was a Charles who, quote, would have had a hard time with a fraud case because he didn't do any due diligence. Something about Bahrain, where Giuliani is well connected. Even more unbelievably, this wasn't the first time Rudy butt dialed this reporter. 18 days earlier, he called him while the reporter was at a family birthday party. On that one, he spent three minutes railing against the Bidens. Rudy should fix his phone settings to stop his damaging butt dials. Back in 2015, a U.S. appeals court ruled that butt dials are not protected under federal wiretapping law, meaning they can be used against you. 
that's it for me tonight, but make sure to stick around for Fareed Zakaria's CNN special report on the brink when a president faces impeachment. That's tonight at 9. And next, Ana Cabrera continues with the latest headlines on CNN Newsroom. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.